coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Monday to you. Kind of a dreary one here in North Georgia. There were some uh, stronger storms moving through the south half of the state. Hopefully everybody's okay. What's happening in your neck of the woods? Feel free to reach out. Let the show know. That would be 404-919-2725. Ron at ronshowatl.com. You can always tweet the show at ronshowatl as well. So uh, later in the show, in fact, the back half of the show, we talk with Representative Rua Roman, representing House District 97 in the Georgia House General Assembly. Just uh, wanted to kind of pick her brain after her first session her first General Assembly session as a representative in the House, just to see how it went. Uh, it is uh, the week of, or, I'm sorry, the week, the month of Ramadan for her, so I can't, I can't be thankful enough for the fact that she uh, took the time out of her day uh, in the midst of fasting. And, you know, when you're hungry, sometimes you don't want to talk either because you get hangry. Anyway, uh, she is not, and uh, I'm grateful for that. So looking forward to talk to her. Uh, about her first General Assembly session and uh, some highs and lows and some surprises that she learned along the way in her first role as a Georgia House member. In a few minutes, we'll talk about what a lot of folks are talking about, especially in the sports world. The Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, can't see me handoff scenario. Uh, Caitlin used the gesture in celebratory fashion in the semifinal of the women's final four when Her team, Iowa, upset the University of South Carolina. Then Coach Don Staley of South Carolina went off on this tangent that at first I thought, where is this coming from? Now I understand. Uh, Coach Don Staley alluded to a lot of things that she hears beat writers say, but not to her face, not to her players, but just in the hallways and overhearing things that uh, she takes issue with. They're uh, rough and thuggish style of play. You get where we're going. Anyway, so Caitlin Clark uses the gesture in celebratory fashion as Iowa upset South Carolina in the semifinals. And then in the championship game, LSU's Angel Reese uses the same gesture in a celebratory fashion, sort of at Caitlin Clark, however. And the next thing you know, it's there's, there's a different reaction. Oh, she's classless. Oh, that was so unnecessary. Twitter said a lot worse. So we'll talk a little bit about that disparity and what that's rooted in, where that's stemming from. I want to take a few minutes, however, to talk and and not really have an opinion about yet, but having absorbed last night's 60 Minutes piece on Georgia's very own Marjorie Taylor Greene and You know, I'm a man of a certain age. I'm 49 years old. I grew up watching 60 Minutes. After the football games would be over with, we'd all be sitting there watching 60 Minutes. And as a kid, you don't care. You're like, ugh, this is boring. But as you become more aware, in middle school, high school, uh, civics classes start teaching you things, and you start watching the newspaper a little bit more. I mean, maybe you didn't. I did. I was a geek. Uh, (laughs) You're you're following geopolitical affairs and pop culture a little bit more, and... uh, you start to notice uh, the stories that 60 Minutes are uh, covering uh, have something to do with what you've been learning. So I grew up in an era where 60 Minutes always had uh, 
uh, an embittered, embattled, tough-as-nail, leathery-voiced Mike Wallace. I mean, I don't think he wanted to come off as being the gotcha interview guy, but man, he had some combative interviews over the time. I mean, I'll never forget he and Louis Farrakhan going to going at it. Uh, he literally had the stones to call Barbara Streisand to her face now, self-absorbed. Uh, Mike Wallace really pulled no punches. And it's kind of why, like, all through the time that Chris Wallace, his son, was at Fox News, I still had a healthy respect for Chris Wallace because Chris, on the whole, was a pretty fair-minded pundit and journalist. And in a way that really discerned him from mainstream media in that there is the perception of a liberal bias in mainstream media. I maintain that facts, data, math, science, well, they all have a liberal bias. So when you're reporting on something, it just looks liberal when you're reporting on facts related to data, science, math, et cetera, and so on. Uh, nonetheless, Mike Wallace, Chris Wallace's dad, was to me someone that I just, I grew up uh, watching and appreciating and carried that 60 Minutes uh, legacy on into the likes of Anderson Cooper and Leslie Stahl, who in general, I like Leslie. I think she's pretty cool. I don't really think she's cut out to be like Mike Wallace, and I think last night really exemplified that. I'm going to play for you the clip that 60 Minutes shared on Twitter first to kind of give you a taste of how the Marjorie Taylor Greene piece went. Greenpeace, that's funny. Shortly after she arrived in Washington, the Democratic-led House ousted her from her committees because of her past endorsement of violence against some Democratic leaders and her history of embracing QAnon that she explained in a speech on the House floor. I stumbled across something, and this was at the end of 2017, called QAnon. I was allowed to believe things that weren't true, and that is absolutely what I regret. Well, I apologize to my colleagues. I think apologies are important. Okay, did you ever apologize to Nancy Pelosi about the bullet to her head? I didn't say that, so I don't need to apologize well, for words you, that weren't mine. Didn't you like it? Other people also ran my social media. I don't think I did that. Are you saying that you don't stand by what's on your social media? Well, of course I stand for what's on my social media, but at times not you're not always in control. We have all kinds of people that work on our social media. Did you apologize for your position on Parkland, Florida? What was my position on Parkland, Florida? That it was a false flag? I don't know flag. if you actually have my position. No, I never said Parkland was a false Did flag. You no, I've never said that. School shootings are horrible. I don't think it's anything to joke about. We fact-checked before I got to this interview. Have you fact-checked all my statements from kindergarten through 12th grade <laughs> and in college and as I've paid my taxes and never broken a law? And the only I got a few speeding tickets. Do we need to talk about those, too? Because I think where you're going down is the same attacks that people have attacked me with over and over and over. Well, if this is what you're known for, I think it's good that you're responding to the charges. I think it's I think, I think it's a legitimate thing people for us to constantly do. focus on it, but never focus on anything good about me. Let me button this up and we'll move on. You want to bring the Republican Party closer to your views. You want to bring the country closer to your views. You've said that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, here are some of the things you've said, um, that America should have a Christian government, 
that abortion should be uh, banned nationally, that you want to defund the FBI, yes, uh, you want immigration to stop for four years. You've said those things, correct? Oh, yeah, these are, these are some of my views. The Constitution, the very First Amendment, prohibits having a, a religion in the government. Yet the Founding Fathers quoted the Bible constantly and were driven by their faith. Marjorie Taylor Greene. As a fervent supporter of the now-indicted Donald Trump, she was a featured speaker at his rally in Waco last weekend. While she's adored here, the latest national poll has her approval rating at just 29%. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you happen to be here. Would you like to run for the Senate? No, we'll fight like hell for you, I tell you. The question for her and the country is can she expand her brash MTG brand beyond the right-wing populist base? For some additional context, by the way, I shared on uh, Twitter, at RonshowATL, uh, an article from uh, Steamafor.com written by Katia Goba, uh, who kind of gives us a little pretext uh, about the 60 Minutes piece, which I, I don't think, I don't think Leslie went hard at Marjorie, but I also don't think Leslie Stahl got steamrolled by Marjorie either. And uh, the piece that I share on Twitter from Semaphore, I think sort of shows you why, kind of lets you behind the curtain, if you will, a little bit in the Marjorie Taylor Greene movement, because uh, as she alluded to in this piece, now she's dating someone who used to be in the news industry uh, in some in some way. And so apparently she has been affected by this person and has decided to be a little bit more amenable to the media. She noted that she doesn't even use the term fake news anymore uh, when speaking to the media. Hasn't since November. Okay, well that's not exactly turning over a new leaf, but I guess let's let's give credit where it's due. It's been four-ish, five months now since she's used the term fake news. Brian Glenn, by the way, is the name of the guy she's dating, and um, the piece at Semaphore.com even goes to talk about how Marjorie has advice for Ron DeSantis on how to be nicer to journalists. You're hearing me right. Marjorie Taylor Greene has advice to someone else on what it means to be nicer to journalists. Now, before we go getting this concept that Marjorie is now a softer, kinder, compassionate conservative, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she still huddles up with Nick Fuentes. She still openly discussed a national divorce. She had her personal Twitter account uh, disabled by Twitter, by Twitter. In fact, now she's on the other Twitter account for her House of Representatives office, imploring Elon Musk to do something about it. As of right now, that still hasn't happened. Anyway, she was upset about a uh, a rally uh, called Trans Day of Vengeance, which was just an organized political rally. It certainly wasn't going to be like January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol, but I digress. Uh, do I have concerns about the 60 Minutes piece? Ha having actually seen it, in some ways, yes. Uh, because the normalization effect kind of does set in a little bit. Listen. 
She's not a sharp mind. She's not very intellectual. She's not. She's just not. She doesn't speak that way. She doesn't act that way. She doesn't present herself in any way, shape, form, or fashion as an intellect. Uh, she's not. She's just not the sharpest knife in the drawer. What she is, is polarizing. And now that she is in a super safe house district, thank you, gerrymandering, we're stuck with her for a while. I guess my one issue with the Leslie Stahl handling here is I'd have pushed back, for one, on the social media stuff. Can you not just say it was wrong for someone or you on your social media team to like a tweet that called for a bullet to Nancy Pelosi's head? Would you say that is not a good representation of who you are as a representative for your district or a representation for your district? If I'm Leslie, I don't let her spin off into some whataboutism. Please just answer those questions. But remember, the media, in fact, it was Morning Joe, MSNBC, that normalized Donald Trump. And look what wound up happening with his political trajectory. Back after this. Welcome back to The Ron Show. It is one of those uh, grayish, rainy, even thunderstormy kind of Mondays. I grew up outside Augusta, Georgia, where, by the way, it's Master's Week, and this is the week we all became amateur meteorologists <laughs> because the tournament is so important to the local economy. I say that. It's, I mean, it's not not important, but it's not like the Super Bowl. It's not Mardi Gras. It's pretty important to the hotel and food and beverage industry, and there is a cottage industry of Airbnb and Verbo folks. Before, by the way, the apps, if you wanted to rent your house out for Master's Week in Augusta, you had to go through the city. Like, whether you were or weren't in the city, you had to go through the city to be on the list for folks who were going to come here for Master's Week to rent out houses. And listen, it made sense to get out of town for the week because you could get upwards of two to three months mortgage payments. You're hearing me right. Two to three months of mortgage payments to let someone stay in your house for just that week. Anyway, uh, the forecast calls for uh, off and on thunder showers throughout the week in Augusta. And that usually wreaks havoc on the tournament and whether or not it gets done or if they uh, play in some slick conditions or if it gets put it's it'll be interesting i'm not a golf fan and i still enjoy watching sunday afternoon at uh the augusta national well not at the augusta national i have been there once i saw the uh the, the greg norman meltdown when nick faldo won back in the uh early 1990s i took my mother to that actually it was the only time she'd ever gotten to go on the golf course to see it in person and she lived in augusta like more than 40 years. Isn't that crazy? Uh, so while we're on the subject of sports, there is this social commentary just ablaze right now. The disparate reactions from Iowa's Caitlin Clark and her you-can't-see-me-John-Cena <laughs> uh, expression, which was put back at her by LSU's Angel Reese during the championship game. Iowa's Caitlin Clark did it in the semifinal match, and Angel Reese returned the favor in the championship match. And there's a disparity of reactions from this, you know? You see a lot of commentary about how Angel Reese uh, either lacked class or humility or... It was thuggish behavior. And the funny thing is, 
when Iowa upset South Carolina, South Carolina's head basketball coach, Dawn Staley, took issue with some of the narrative that she would hear in the hallways, I think she put it. She heard a lot of uh, national sports writers who would use terminology like that, thinking they're not being heard. And she said, no, I hear it. Um, I, I just I find this whole conversation worthy of, of something to make note of. See, that's the sort of thing that Coach Dawn Staley, uh, Staley was making note of, this disparity of reaction from Caitlin Clark being showy and, and celebratory on the court versus uh, LSU's Angel Reese. This is or should be a learning moment for folks that we, societally I use the we, uh, still see and react to actions differently, depending on the actor's ethnicity. People in media are equally guilty. Learning from these snapshots in time is where we often fall short, which is why there will always be those who insist we try to anyway, and here I am trying. We have to, really. This disconnect, this gulf in perspectives goes unnoticed and unaddressed too often. People get offended when their altered perception gets noted, and instead of showing personal growth, they recoil tighter and form a tougher hide. I mean, that solves nothing. Makes the gap wider, actually. So I, for one, encourage civil, calm dialogue if this conversation comes up in discussion today. And by the way, we don't talk about women's basketball enough. I will be the first to admit, I don't watch a whole lot of women's basketball. The WNBA college, I don't watch a whole lot of basketball, period, honestly. Uh, I, I'm a UGA guy, and college basketball season doesn't last very long for UGA. Never into March, for sure, or heading into April, for darn sure. Uh, and the Hawks are frustrating. I mean, I love basketball. I just, I don't know. I just don't watch the sport that much. And college basketball has kind of gotten so far from what it was when I was growing up, where you could get used to seeing a player for two or three years uh, before they move on. Now it's one and done, and I, I hardly knew your name. And teams are what I grow accustomed to and bond with, personalities and uh, their skills. And one season just isn't enough. Anyway, this dialogue is going to happen a lot today, and and I I hope it's you know civil and calm. Um, it's not combative to ask someone why one player can be audacious and display on a court of play and be called heroic or brave or illustrious or all the other flowering comments, and the other is going to be called out for her lack of showmanship or sportsmanship, I should say, lack of grace, classless, et cetera, so on. Perhaps infusing studies that show people see black adolescents and adults as more threatening, how the angry black woman trope persists, how Reconstruction and Jim Crow era caricaturizing and demonizing people of color transcended generations and tainted society's view of people of color, affecting hiring, housing, law enforcement, and the judiciary, even still, really, we're still finding this out, right? These are heady conversations, but they need to be had. Uh, At least I think they do. Not because of basketball. I mean, congrats LSU. You know, great game. They really just overwhelmed Iowa. That was a team effort. A team overcoming one-star player and some other good role players, but not as good a team. So, no, this conversation isn't just about basketball. It's one that should be had because... These disparate perspectives have long negatively 
altered, even shortened lives. So I say, yeah, have this conversation and try it from, again, a calm demeanor and one of open-mindedness on, on all sides because understanding one another is so vital to being empathetic to other perspectives. It's something that takes time. It's taken me time. I was, trust me, a way more combative hair on fire. Well, I didn't have hair then either. Uh, progressive who just wanted to simply berate conservatives. But I also understand where the mindset comes from, even though I disagree with it, because I know where it comes from. Does that make sense? Anyway, best of luck having those conversations, but do have them. Representative Rua Roman, fresh off her first General Assembly session, joins us on the second half of the show after the break. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Monday. Kind of a dreary one here in the north part of the state. The south part dealing with some severe weather. Hopefully everybody's coming through this okay. So the General Assembly session for 2023 is done, and we figured this would be a great opportunity to catch up with one of our House representatives now that she is fresh off of her first General Assembly session. And I can't appreciate this enough. Not only did Rua Roman make the time to talk to us today, but here we are in, in the heart of Ramadan. And uh, I know because I have a fr- my friend Majid. Let me say hi, Majid. Uh, yalla, yalla. Uh, Majid uh, from Morocco, uh, two things. He reminds us when it's Ramadan, and he, he lets us know when it's raining in Smyrna and won't come to practice because it's raining in Smyrna, even if practice isn't in Smyrna. Anyway, uh, Representative Rahman, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So um, we were just talking off the air about uh, a Ramadan, and I, is, I'm sure you're more aware of this than I am. I have been sort of blown away by recognizing how much major media now actually acknowledges Ramadan. I saw like an ABC bump between uh, TV shows once that uh, acknowledge Ramadan and uh, and greetings to those who uh, celebrated it. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, it's. I mean, I love the fact that that representation is clear because you know you inform people about what's going on and. Selfishly, it makes it easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it, it, I think we've talked about this before. It sort of uh, belies how far we've come as a country in the United States since 9-11. Wouldn't, yeah. you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree? I mean, for sure. I think a lot of that community engagement and outreach was kind of happening community to community, but it wasn't sort of as widespread. And the sad reality is that for better or for worse, 9-11 did put a very sometimes cruel microscope on my community. And, you know, if there was one good thing is that it did bring a little bit more awareness about our traditions and our diversity, which I think is incredible. Mm. Um, And uh, some of the great food that we've got. So... Yeah, so I could talk about the food all day, but (laughs) I'm not going to do that to you because (laughs) it's Ramadan. It's it's so cruel, right? (laughs) Uh, Representative Roman representing uh, House District 97 in the Georgia General Assembly. So uh, let's just start right off the bat, a softball question. How did did your first session go? How do you feel about it coming out of it? Yeah, it was um, incredibly tough, but I, knowing previous sessions, I know it could have been much tougher. 
Um, you know, we have an incredible freshman class uh, coming in. There's, you know, or unfortunately there were 26 of us. Now there's 25 of us. Right. Um, but now back to 26, it's complicated, but the, you know, we've, we've been able to grow a lot together. And I think having that kind of camaraderie and that kind of support really, um, helped a lot of us get through this. Was there any sort of uh, camaraderie even across the aisle with the freshman class? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're a freshman, you're a freshman, right? Like you don't really have a lot of say at a lot of tables. You kind of have to make your own space. You have to kind of push through. I mean, for our Republican colleagues, passing bills for them was a possibility. Um, but we had Democratic colleagues pass their own bills. And mm-hmm. I think that is a testament to, you know, how hard they've been working. So there were, it seemed like uh, this this uh, honeymoon period when the session started, when, you know, a lot of the easy stuff was kind of taken care of. And I almost felt like it was almost like a trap. You know, it was kind of a setup. Uh, oh, look how harmonious we're going to be. And then like middle of the session, things got contentious and all of the uh, red meat from the right started hitting uh, bill wise, did you know? Did you notice that change in tone as well? Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, the change in tone happened essentially once Senate bills started hitting the House floor. And to me, that's quite infuriating because it felt like the House's agenda got completely hijacked by people more concerned with attack ads and elections, and they were <clears throat> governing for Georgians. Right. Is there any fix for that, though? Unfortunately, with the budget the way it is, the fact that we have to work across chambers, you know, the most we can hope for is that some of these senators recognize that pushing these bills in the long run is going to be harmful for everybody and all Georgians. Uh, In the meantime, we will do all that we can to keep expanding our numbers because the reality of the situation is the gold dome doesn't understand any language other than power. And so if you don't have the numbers, you don't really, you can only do so much influence on the sides. Mm-hmm. If you're not in it, you kind of don't really have a say. So the first time I got to meet you was at a run for something event, which makes me uh, bring this question up. How, how do we get more people to run for state legislative offices when there were so many that ran unopposed last session? I mean, if if we just made some of these competitive or even, you know, picked off a couple here or there, Next thing you know, it's it's almost a 50-50 split. Yeah. Honestly, run yourself. Um, oh, is no, what I'm I not going to tell do people. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm happy with my representative. I mean, I, like, I, generally, I mean that generally like for the audience. It's, you know, when when we talk about how we expand our numbers, we just need people to step in and, and raise their hand and say, hey, this is what I have to offer. This is what I bring to the table. This is the kind of voice we need because... You know, I think it's important to have highly skilled lawyers. It's important to have highly skilled policymakers, but we also need people who represent other professions, other parts of our state, other um, communities, and have their voices at that table because it really does change things. And I think, at least for us, you know, we've been reaching out to friends and letting them know hey, this is what the experience was like here's what I had to do to run for office and here's why I think you can too. And that's really powerful. Okay. I was just going to ask you if you were actually talking to anybody or knew of any folks from other districts that you might be willing to kind of, you know, bring along the pathway to running uh, next cycle, especially if there's like, you know, 
someone in the house, you don't have to name names. If there's someone in the house that you just love to not have to deal with anymore, (laughs) that you could find someone to run in that district. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we literally just finished session not even a week ago. Mm -hmm. So those formal conversations haven't really happened, but the idea is yes, absolutely. I mean, we want and we know really great talented people and and we want them there Mm. now unfortunately it is a citizens legislature and so you have to be able to find a job that gives you that flexibility you need to be able to if you have kids have that support system and so a lot of that those conversations um will probably start happening now to figure out logistically is that something they can do next year and we talked about this last time we we talked i believe we talked about how hard it is and, and and how nearly you almost have to be either independently wealthy or have a job that allows you to take well three three and a half four months off from the job essentially unless you live in metro atlantic and can somehow swing the schedule it's it's an impossibility for like a teacher or a police officer or a fireman you know to to represent those professions to represent the working class in the legislature Exactly. And it's really unfortunate because we need those voices. Um, Those voices matter so much because we make so many policies about those professions. And very rarely, like you said, I mean, they don't have time to be down at the Capitol lobbying us day in and day out like some other folks can. So, you know, forget even having a seat at the table, let alone talking to those that have a seat at the table can be really challenging. And that's why this year we were very... Um, intentional about doing town halls throughout session, not just, you know, before or after. And it was so that we can kind of keep a pulse on what everybody really cares about and what they're hearing. We're on with uh, Representative Rua Roman. She represents House District 97. That gives you like uh, uh, Berkeley Lake, Duluth, Norcross, some other areas in uh, Gwinnett County. Uh, what have you? What did you learn in your first session that you went in having no clue about before? Um, so I've, you know, I've been down there on a couple of bills previously, but the thing that really, I would say got to me was session really is what you make it. And if you spend it just focusing on, you know, the worst of the worst, you're not gonna be able to get anything done. And so I had to constantly remind myself, my district sent me here. This is why my district sent me here constantly reprioritizing so that I wasn't just going by the conversation of the day. I was Mm. being very intentional about, you know, meeting with constituents, talking to constituents, obviously dealing with whatever bills came up, but then thinking about the future of what does my district want me to pursue? What does my district care about? What's important to them? And that was just, I think to me, I didn't realize how much of an anchor that was going to be until, like you said, you know, when the waters got really rough, it was always, you know, what my district wanted that kind of got me through. So you're a younger representative. Was there someone who would be in your ear that would sort of um, be that that calming, guiding voice if you ever felt like maybe or they maybe felt like, you know, you were getting a little amped up or... You know, it's it's human nature. We just kind of get a little amped up, a little emotional about issues that are certainly, uh, you know, more important to us. Did you have anyone that was kind of that that calming voice, you know, the hand on the shoulder, the relax, here's how this is going to play out sort of scenario? Did you have someone like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have some really great Democratic representatives who have been around for a long time, who've kind of seen when it makes sense to kind of 
push the gas and when it makes sense to pump the brakes. Yeah. Um, I think that the fun dynamic, and it really is a fun dynamic that's kind of emerged is, okay, it's been happening this way for a while, but now we've got some more, like some more folks that could potentially sway a vote. What if we did X, Y, and Z? And it kind of turned into a lot of strategizing sessions that were really helpful and beneficial. Um, but also a lot of Republicans that took time to just make it clear, like, this is what you're seeing, but this is the intention, or this is what you're seeing, and this is why I have to vote this way. And they didn't, you know, we're Democratic freshmen. They didn't have to explain themselves to us. And, you know, they took the time to say, here's the reality of the situation, right? Like the budget is being held hostage or, you know, this bill is being held hostage. And if we don't move it, we, we can't, you know, it's our only constitutional duty. And I personally don't think that's a good enough reason to pass things like SB 140. But I also, um, you know, I think, unfortunately, that's the reality of the world that we are in under the gold dome is until there are consequences for votes like that, they'll continue to happen to kind of quote unquote, keep the, the wheels turning for lack of a better word. I'm kind of fascinated that you said that even Republicans would come to you and explain to you why they were leaning or voting a certain way on a bill that happened, that mm-hmm. happened often. Um, you know, again, it's part of the trust building, right? And we sit right next to each other. I mean, the seating chart this year was really interesting in that I think every single freshman sat either next to, in front of, or behind a Republican oh, wow. uh, representative. And so naturally those conversations came up or you kind of overheard them and next thing you know, they invite you to them. And that happens. Um, you know, there's sort of the, here's the position I'm taking, here's the position I'm taking. And you kind of see a lot of that in the news, but the reality of the situation is we're together for long periods of time for like 40 days. Um, and it's a life away from our normal life. And, you know, you get to know each other, you get to learn about each other. And sometimes frankly, magic happens like with SB 233, the voucher yeah. bill where yeah. you're able to say, Hey, look, right is right. And wrong is wrong. And you know, obviously it helps that this doesn't pull at 80% for them the way it does anti-trans bills. But similarly, you're able to say, this is how it directly impacts you. Like, please see reason. And, you know, some of them will go, you know what? I represent my district. I don't represent, you know, this other district and I have to vote my district. And there's a little bit of camaraderie in that. Okay, fair enough. Um, We're going to take a quick break, come back with Representative Ruhr Ramon. She represents House District 97. Coming off her first General Assembly session, and so we're kind of picking her brain a little bit to find out what that first session was like. We'll ask about, uh, you know, some of her favorite bills that may have made it to the governor's desk, the ones that she absolutely loathes as well. We'll get back with her in just a second. The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. We're back with Representative Rua Roman joining us after uh, her first General Assembly session. Uh, so since the session's over, how much sleep have you been getting tonight? Oh my gosh, I am honestly just doing a lot of sleeping. I know a lot of people <laughs> tend to take vacations or whatever the case may be, but fasting for Ramadan means I'm kind of hibernating a little bit mm-hmm. um, and trying to kind of figure out what my career is going to look like moving forward and, you know, lots of big questions that require a lot of reflecting and thinking. You you mentioned your career. Being a representative in this in the State General Assembly isn't necessarily someone's career, right? Because it doesn't pay enough to, to make it a career. Yeah. 
That's fascinating yeah. that you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I um, I actually did have a job while running for office, but and the intention was that I would keep that job. But I think after, I don't think they expected me to win, to be quite honest with you. And when <laughs> I did, they uh, quickly changed their mind, which is fine. Uh... Like, it happens. Yeah, so... I will be job hunting over the next, you know, foreseeable future and kind of settling into, frankly, what, you know, a good chunk of the rest of my life is going to look like. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, a lot of this, look, I'm turning 30 in June. There's a lot of change happening in my life. And I think this is just one of many things that will be, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, settling into place as I enter a new decade. Okay, gotcha. Uh, do we find you on LinkedIn if anybody's looking for? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but I think, you know, it also requires me figuring out what I want to do. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, you need to be looking for them on LinkedIn. I like that. So oh, yes. so uh, it, it's easy to talk about the bills you're not happy that passed. And I think we find a lot of common ground on that. But let's, I want to ask you, the one bill that stands out in your mind that is on the governor's desk, whether he has or hasn't signed it yet, that you're happiest made it out of the uh, session? So I think there was a, and I was really proud to vote for this, a really great uh, literacy bill. It was a group of moms that had come in to talk about the importance of screening for dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of kids, based on the new way that we teach reading, is hopefully going to become the old way we teach reading, which is you kind of learn by pictures. And then around third or fourth grade, the pictures go away. And a lot of teachers go, oh my gosh, this kid doesn't actually know how to read. Mm. Um, This student is really struggling. And so we try to, you know, this bill is intended to kind of take that mask off a lot earlier to make sure that we're able to help the child much earlier in their school career rather than falling behind for five years before anybody's the wiser. Um, and that bill, you know, it was carried by a Republican freshman, actually, right. and she was a teacher. And so she knew the importance of this. And it was really great. I mean, and even, you know, I have a lot of teacher friends and we were chatting about it and they're like, oh, great, like one more thing I have to do. But at the same time, it's something that they knew they needed training for because they were starting to see it was becoming, frankly, just everywhere um, and they needed help and support. And so Hopefully, this does provide that without being too burdensome on our educators. And the good news is the educators uh, across the board got a raise. I mean, it's $2,000. It doesn't come out to a whole bunch, uh, a whole bunch on the paycheck, yeah. but it's a something. I mean, and this is sort of, frankly, one of my biggest frustration points is, you know, we gave teachers a $2,000 bump, but then law enforcement received a $6,000 bump and new headquarters in Buckhead. And, you know, we do have a $6 billion surplus and yet yeah. somehow the budget slashed million, tens of millions of dollars from our university system that will disproportionately impact small colleges and HBCUs. And so, you know, it, that's, that kind of stuff can be so infuriating. There were obviously wins in the budget, right? For freshmen, for senior maker, for senior lawmakers, all of them. But that kind of stuff is so infuriating because it's you're almost taking one step forward and then you're reminded, oh, shoot, this is the reality that I live in and we just have to kind of keep pushing. So the uh, the reading and literacy, the dyslexia, I like that. Watching Will Trent, by the way, this this uh, this first season of Will Trent has really brought a lot to, mm-hmm. you know, bear as far as, uh, you know, realizing that a kid can't read or has struggles uh, reading or yep. dyslexia or something like that. So. That's an important, and I'm just a big Will Trent fan. I love the show. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm sure you've been too busy to watch, but do catch up on it. It's one of the few network TV shows that have come out in recent years that I'm like, you know what? This is actually good. Um, 
So good to know. Yeah, that's my list. Yeah, add it to your list. I'm sure it's a long list at this point. Uh, so you mentioned SB 233 and how folks cross party lines, and we were able to defeat the school voucher bill. So that's that's a good uh, transition on that to the bill that really disappointed you the most that's now on the governor's debt or actually has already been signed maybe yeah i mean sb 140 frankly was Uh. heartbreaking and infuriating because and i've said this multiple times i do come from a socially conservative community i think it's really hard sometimes to get folks to understand why somebody like me cares about a bill like this mm-hmm. um because you know it doesn't Im- personally impact me in fact some people would argue it would quote unquote you know hurt in some of these closer districts which i'm not in but the reality of the situations as i've explained it to people is these bills will always come for the most marginalized but eventually yes. find their way to us yes. um but in this case this bill had come for my community right like with the with the bill that banned uh, well, it didn't. So the bill that banned uh, trans kids from playing sports, it was actually a little more complicated than that. It gave the high school sports association authority. There's like a a body that does a lot of like rules for school sports here in yeah, Georgia. GHSA. It basically, yeah, it basically gave them the power in or to be able to discriminate against those students. Right. right. Here's a not so fun fact for people: a bill almost identical to this one word for word had come out not even five ten years ago Mm. banning hijab wearing girls from playing sports i was one of those girls and so i always tell people like i don't need to understand somebody's lived experience or life experience to know that a bill is a harmful terrible and oppressive bill and to see the amount of political capital that was spent on that bill to see the amount of time and energy spent on that bill was just frankly disgusting um and to see how it was shoved through to see that you know but i mean obviously there's a ton of responsibility on republican leadership in the house bringing this forward because you know it does pull the sad reality is and they've they've said this directly to us is it pulls at 80 percent approval for them and they're it's like a primary guarantee right and i just uh, i don't i mean i still don't fully have the words for that bill because you know even during the committee hearing the chairwoman on the house side had asked she said have any of you transitioned when you were younger and regret it i want to hear from you because you know uh testimony is running long and then she goes on the flip side have any of you transitioned on the younger side and don't regret it and immediately we had a ton of people that said i transitioned as a child i don't regret it here's like you you know they were forced to share some really incredibly intimate and personal details for the sake of stopping this bill, they could not find a single person to in any way, shape, or form support their side. That was a frustrating thing for me to watching this all unfold. Facts and uh, data and even personal anecdotes, none of it mattered. None of it mattered. Polling mattered most, as you pointed out. It was horrible. And I mean, it it was almost like you are watching this like train that's about to fall off a cliff and you see the brake button in front of you, but you can't push the brake button because, you know, there's a little case around it that needs a key and the other person who has the key is just refusing to open it up and, and press the brake button. Mm. And you're watching it all happen and it's just, I mean, it was truly, truly a train wreck. 
Well, hopefully it's something that can be reversed uh, in coming sessions, but that's going to take, as you mentioned uh, in the prior segment, getting more folks to yes. run for office. And uh, again, I met you through the organization Run for Something, so that's a fantastic mm-hmm. organization to reach out to. <laughs> you keep recruiting your friends in other districts as well. Uh, exactly. I love to hear that. Representative Rua Roman, thanks for giving us some time today. I appreciate you catching up with us. And do you say happy Ramadan? Ramadan Mubarak? Yeah, Ramadan is fine. Ramadan Mubarak is how we say it. And yeah, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. And we'll see y'all back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com.